Canucks Central Monday. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah. This hour is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company helping local business since 1892. Sat, we are exactly one month away from the opening night of the Vancouver Canucks season. Yes, one month. Can't get here soon enough. <laughs> Still a lot to happen. We, there's a uh, development or the the prospects, uh, the Young Stars tournament coming up this weekend in Penticton. Yeah. Next weekend, Whistler will have training camp. And uh, from there, it's a couple of preseason games and the season's underway. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I'm excited. I'm excited for the preseason to get going as well because... We just get to watch some hockey. We get to talk about hockey again, do the yeah. post-game shows and all that sort of stuff. So so that's what I'm excited for. I'm excited to get back into the day-to-day grind of covering the team. There's uh, two groups today at uh, at eight rinks. So uh, pretty much almost everybody is back in town for the start of the regular season and training camp and all of that, which is getting going over the next couple of weeks. So this time of year, there's always um, some really good stories and previews that come out. Uh, from various media, getting ready for the year. And today, one uh, came from Mike Russo out of The Athletic, uh, who did a feature on Brock and the season that he just had, dealing with um, the passing of his father Mm -hmm. and the situation with his father as it deteriorated. It was a a heartfelt story. I do... um, I encourage our listeners to to go and read it. It was a really good insight into Brock's relationship with his father and also uh, how things went for Brock and his family last year. But it does feel like Brock has a lot of bounce-back potential in him coming into this year now that um, he and his family are able to, to move on and move forward it feels like for him that's especially important yeah it, it really does i mean you, you know you're right about the piece it's 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 tough to read at times but it's very worth well worth your time and it does really detail how difficult a year was for brock yeah and for anybody trying to deal with a situation like that it's hard for you to do your day-to-day job especially something like performing at a high level in the national hockey league so when we zoom out and look at what can we expect to see from Brock Besser? Is this going to be the first offseason, albeit one where he's still coming to grips with everything he's been dealing with? It yeah. has been, you know, like it's, you know, a cakewalk or whatever. But for once, it seems like there's a bit more clarity. His contract got figured out pretty quickly. No health issues he's dealing with. And as hard as the family stuff is, getting some resolution no matter how difficult it is, at least allows you to start to move forward. It's hard for you to move forward when there hasn't been a resolution like that for a while too. And it's so hard to go through, even if you don't want to lose somebody, it's still difficult to see somebody like that day in and day out. Now, even though it's not easy, you are moving forward in life. I keep looking at Brock and I keep wondering, is there anybody on this team who's a better candidate to bounce back? So he still ended up with with 23 goals. You know, like a lot of the Canucks players, extremely slow start and a stronger, at least production-wise, finish to the season. But Brock, you know, he had a few hot streaks here and there, but it always never felt like he was able to get into a flow, into a rhythm for any real length 
of time. Uh, his rookie season was so, so good. Yeah. You know, we think back to it, how he burst onto the scene, uh, staring down Carey Price and going top corner over his glove hand. Like, goals we'll never forget from Brock. The Like, the, the Matt Murray stuff. Uh, he, oh, he yeah. got lucky, and then he does it again. Uh, wins the All-Star Game MVP. Uh, that rookie season was absolutely magical for Brock Besser up until the day he got hurt against the New York Islanders. But it's never felt like, and even though the production has been there at times, it's never felt like he's gotten on that sort of a hot streak like he had in his rookie year. Yeah, well, I mean, we haven't seen that that explosiveness from it with his shots since that first year. Yeah, the second year he was pretty good too, and all that sort of stuff. But we haven't seen that same type of prolific scoring since that first year. And and I would say, expecting something like that may may be expecting something that's not there anymore. And that's right. not a slight at Brock. Maybe he just had his most prolific shooting year in his rookie season. Yeah. You know, and he would have been well over 30 goals if it wasn't for the injury towards the end and all that sort of stuff, right? And that's not to say he may not have a year where he surpasses 30 goals, but for things to look as effortless as they did, that may have been the hottest he'll be for yeah. a stretch. I still see a, a guy that can score 30-plus, but I after that rookie season, I'm like, this This could be a guy that has uh, a 40-goal season or two in him through his career. I mean, I could see him maybe scoring 41 year. Yeah. I mean, is it that much outside the realm of possibility for a guy who, who scored 29 and 62, 26 and 69, 23 and 56? Those are the goal totals he's had in his best scoring years. 23 and 71 and then 16 and 57 or the other years where you know he would struggle yeah. a bit by his standards, goal-scoring-wise. If you can score 30 in 62 games, essentially, you can probably score another 10 goals in, in 20 games. You know what I mean? So I think he can hit 40, but I don't think he's a 40-goal scorer. Because anybody who can hit 30 or so can get an extra 5 to 7, 8 goals in a year if things break right for you. It's uh, He is a better playmaker than I think um, he's often given credit for. Uh, his, his vision on the ice is pretty good. Um, we know, you know one of the things that has changed for Brock, too, from that rookie season, which we've talked about quite a bit, is his role on the power play. He was the guy. He was the trigger man. Playing on the left half wall, Edler would line it up. It took a while for Edler to figure it out, but Edler would line him up for the one-timer, and he scored a bunch of power play goals in that rookie season. Now he plays down low in the net front, and, you know, Still scored more than 10 power play goals last year, so it's not like he's completely absent from goal scoring, even though he's not the main trigger man anymore. But it's it's just a different look for him, and one that he's not the main trigger point on the power play like he was in that rookie season. Yeah, and, and I think that makes a bit of a difference in terms of you know scoring-wise. To your point about him being a better player all around, I think he is when he's at his best. One of the things we didn't see last year was him excelling in those other areas as, as well as he had the previous couple of years. Yeah. And when you, you realize or you, you know how tough that year was for him and, and how difficult it was mentally, how draining that was, you can maybe understand why he wasn't as prolific in board battles and the engagement, which he was so good at the previous years, waned last year. But that player does exist. I mean, we, we shared the numbers the last couple of years that when it came to board battles, he was one of the best players in the league winning board battles the past yeah. few years. And that shows you how much his game has evolved and how big a part of his game 
is winning the bat, winning the puck along the boards and creating offense from that spot. And that's something he does very well. And and, and it does play into the hands of what Bruce Boudreaux wants for his team, which is playing down low behind the hashes, more winning those battles and, and cycle towards the net. And when Besser's at his best, he excels doing that. And that's an area of his game I want to see come back too. Because to your point, we get so fixated on numbers. It just comes down to overall impact too. For a guy like him who's getting paid, you know, almost seven million now, and over six million, yeah, I mean, he's he's going to have to give you thirty plus goals every year. He has to give you some baseline of production that you feel good about. But can Brock Besser be the best Brock Besser if he scores sixty points this year and thirty goals, but is just such an impact player as a two way player and winning those battles? He would be an even more impactful player if if he's more well rounded. It's um, you know, there's a couple of Somewhat misconceptions on Brock out there as well. Uh, you know, he, I, I feel like he's got this injury prone tag, right? Yeah. Um, because of the handful of injuries he suffered in the first couple of years of his career, but realistically, he's missed 11 games over the last two seasons. Yeah. It hasn't been, I mean, he had the injuries the first couple of years. Yeah. The pandemic year, too, he got hurt towards the end and he missed some time, but. Not missing a lot of time the last couple of seasons, to your point, only the 11. And that was also with COVID, getting stuck in the States, and those kind of things happen as well, and that's part of it. But for for Brock, and I see people text again, too, talking about his lack of mobility and the pace stuff, he's never going to be a fast skater. No. You know, Brock's never going to be a burner. Brock's never going to be a guy that's going to go out there and and change the pace of the game. He those, does have those, to improve. Yeah, those same people were in love with Tyler Toffoli, who's not much of a burner himself. For Brock, he he can stand to get quicker and skate yeah. better, and I think he should work on that, and that has to be something he works on. But his game has to he has to excel in what we just talked about: playing down low, winning those puck battles, being strong on pucks, and using his anticipation in his shot. Because that's where when he's at his best in transition. I think Brock can be a good player too, and I think that can also be something that allows him to create more chances. And you look back the past couple of years when the lotto line was really going. They create a lot of transition chances. And despite the fact that Brock's not the fastest player, when you play quick as a line, he can still create in transition, and he's really good at getting a shot off in transition. So what does a bounce back then look for Brock? If if we're willing to say he is potentially the best bounce back bet on the team, we could talk about some others that are in that category as well, but what does a bounce back season look like for Brock Besser, who still had 46 points in 71 games last year. That is still pretty good for a guy that is, you know, we all know had a down year, but was still on pace for more than 50 over an 82 game season. Need to set some career highs. Yeah. Need to set a career high in either goals and or points. You got to get one of those. Yeah. You know, um, he, he's peaked at 56 points, which was his second season in the National Hockey League. He's peaked at 29 goals, which you mentioned was his first season in the National Hockey League. Post either, both would be great, career high in goals and in points. I think that would be tremendous. Get, get over 60 points, get 30 goals. I think that would be really good. The bare minimum, you have to set one career high in points or goals. It, it's, you know... Those can be arbitrary things sometimes. Um, you know, Pedersen did have a career high in points last year, yeah. but nobody is going to sit here and tell you that it was his best season of his career because we know mm-hmm. he was pretty much a ghost for the first half of it and still ended up hitting that career high. But with Brock, I do want to see 
like I think if if he's going to make the most of this three year deal that he's now on, I feel like the Canucks need him to be a thirty goal guy. You know, like this roster just sets up for him to be a thirty goal player. They probably need a couple of other guys to be in that range as well. But Brock, I think, needs to be there almost with Pedersen as this team's leading goal scorer. Mm-hmm. Like, him or Pedersen likely needs to be the team's leading goal scorer, and that's probably one of the signals of success for the Canucks. Yeah, and ultimately, when you're paying him close to $7 million, it's yeah. to score goals. You know, like... Ultimately, what is his greatest asset? Is is his goal scoring ability? Yes. You need to be healthy for a full year. You need to kind of get closer to that potential goal scoring wise. That's what he has to do. You know what I mean? And I see that being possible. Like if I'm betting on the the player who's most likely to set career highs, to me is two guys. One is Brock Besser. The other one's Elias Pettersson. Because mm-hmm. Pettersson had 68 points last year, you know, in, in, in 80 plus games. Without... <laughs> without having any kind of success through the first half. Yeah, essentially being ghost for the first 30, you know, odd some games of the season. He should be able to get 70. If he stays healthy, he should at the very least get 70 some points. So I think yes. he should be a guy you 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 know, as long as he's healthy, he should have a career, another career year in numbers wise. I think Brock lines up for him to have it this year, too. And if he does get it, I think it changes Two, I think I think it changes two things. One, potentially what that means for him here long term and how they may view him as part of the core. The second one, he becomes a really valuable player for the Canucks on a cheap contract. He's such a critical player for this team. Either A, as a player who becomes part of the core and is a legitimate goal-scoring threat for the next five to six years, or he becomes good enough that you can move him and address the needs that you need to address on your back end. Yeah. it's He is a very key piece for this roster and where it goes over the next three years. His contract, what it means um, as any kind of an asset for this team, whether it's on the ice, as a trade piece, Brock is very important on that front in those categories. This, like, the the one thing about Brock, yes, it's the goal scoring, Mm -hmm. and it has felt like the shot isn't as dynamic, but... He doesn't take as many shots. He should shoot more. I mean, he's still one as of the, he used to. He's still one of the highest volume shooters on the team. Yes, but he can still stand to shoot more. And and sure, you know that first season. I mean, who else was on the Canucks? Right? It was the Sedins, Brock, and Bo Horvat. You know, mm-hmm. and some other guys. But we know what the roster was in in Brock's rookie year. It was not great. But he took over ten shots per sixty that year. He's not come close to that. He was below eight shots per 60 yeah. last year. That's not something that Brock, that that's not a number you want Brock to be at. If he's going to reach that 30-goal plateau, he's got to pick up the pace with his the amount of shots he takes on this team. And I think a big part of that is where he plays in this lineup and just how prominent he ends up being in different situations for this team. So ultimately, where do you think, who do you think he plays with? Because I think he probably he probably starts off playing with Miller again would be my guess. Him and Miller did play really well together. They both like playing below the hash marks. Yeah, uh, it is a good fit and one that has been better than him and Pedersen has recently. Well, you know it's interesting because Pedersen and Besser really struggled the year before and the first bit of this season playing together, and then towards the end things got a little bit better. But 
that chemistry with those two guys, you're right, hasn't really been yeah. rekindled for a couple of years yet. And one of the things that Miller and Besser together does, it allows you to throw Pearson on that line. And I know people are rolling their eyes and I'll say, oh my God, I play a Hoaglander there, whatever. And I understand. But what it does is that line is going to, they click really well. They'll play below mm-hmm. the, there'll be a line that's going to crush his matchups consistently, especially with Miller driving and having those guys along the boards. When they get down low, they will be a hard, you know, line to handle. They were, when they played together last year, they were really, really strong. They were really strong. So I think that's something you can always go to. And then, and then it becomes a case of what do you do with Pedersen and Horvat? You know what I mean? Like, who do you play with those guys? The thing you know with Pedersen is, no matter who you play with him, when he's on his game, he will be productive. I think it comes down to really, what do you, what, how are you using Bo Horvat's line? Is that yeah. going to be a line where you want to match him up, like it's been how he's been used in the past? Or do you just not worry about that anymore? And I think that's going to play a big part into how you construct that roster. But I think what you do with Besser is, I think him and Miller is something you probably go with. Yeah. And I think that's something that's going to work. They have chemistry. It'll be positive. And I think that's that's the best place for Besser to start off and get off to a good start. I just know I don't want Besser playing with Horvat. You know, I'm I'm willing to it I'm willing to see if Pedersen and, and Besser can rekindle some of their previous chemistry, but I mm-hmm. I just don't think Besser and and Horvat really works stylistically, well, chemistry-wise, like they're just they they don't mesh. It's not the best way to get the bo- the most out of Besser as a goal scorer. No, exactly. Because I think with Bo, um, he's not really a playmaker. He's more yeah. of a sc- scorer. And even though Besser has better playmaking abilities, I think what you force him into is be maybe more of a distributor than he should be. And I, I, to your point, I think it can work and be fine. Like they can go out there and hand. You know, it's not like they're going to they're on a suck out there. But I don't think you maximize their potential. Uh, we have a lot of reaction. There are people that are yep. all all about Bo, right? Uh, Brock Brock skated in his rookie year. That's why he was so good. He's never skated like that since. Watch the highlights. Uh, poor guy probably shouldn't have taken a few months off last season. Maybe a contract year played a part. He's definitely betting on himself with a shorter contract. Get, great bet for a bounce back season. Uh, not everybody, however, is a fan like this one. Um, says, Besser as it stands right now is overpaid and overrated. You guys are covering for all his deficiencies. Really, come on, fellas. You guys are so obviously biased and can't see through your rose-colored glasses. Uh, I mean, this person has been texting a lot yeah, and was like, you guys aren't talking about his lack of pace and we talk about his pace. And he's like, you guys... This person does not like Brock Besser. No. And what we're doing isn't saying Brock Besser is this great player. But what we're saying is Brock Besser can and should bounce back from the season he had last year. You may not like Brock Besser. You may not think he's worth the money. But Brock Besser next season probably is going to have a decent year. Yeah. And if he does, he'll be worth the contract. If he doesn't, obviously there'll be problems. I mean, we criticized Besser's play last year. He had a lot of stuff going on in his life, which may have contributed to him not playing at his absolute best. But what do you want people to do, tear him down right now? He's on a new contract. Yeah. We're trying to figure out how he can play. He has deficiencies. He has problems. I don't think he's a superstar player. But, I mean, if you dislike Besser that much, fine. Yeah. All we're doing is talking about how he can bounce back this upcoming season. Besser has admitted, and again, in the piece we referenced off the top, Besser talks about the struggle and how it was hard not to be distracted at times with what was going on and the situation with his father. But this is still a player that was on pace for more than 50 points in the season that he played. Um 71 games, he had 46 points. That's a 50-point player in a down year. Besser is a 60-point player 
in what we would expect to be sort of his expectation level, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, 50 was like 50 points is kind of his floor. And you're going to sit there and tell me that's a bad player. Sure. It's not an ideal season that Brock just had, but again, this is a player who is a significant point producer and has to be viewed that way and will be judged on that, especially now that he's making close to 7 million bucks. I'm not going to sit here and tell you Brock is a perfect player, but there's a lot about his game that should be able to help this Canucks team. And I think the floor for him this year, they need him to be a 30-goal guy and above that 60-point threshold. He very much has it in his arsenal to do that, but these are the elements that Brock brings to this team that others don't really do. Mm -hmm. And the reason the Canucks go out and get a Mikheyev is to make up for some of the lack of speed they have with guys like Besser and other players on their lineup. Well, and one of the realities with Brock Besser's situation this offseason was it came down to a very basic asset management question. Is it more valuable for us to trade this player or sign this player? Mm-hmm. And given the relative soft market for wingers, as you saw across the National Hockey League, I don't think there was a robust market for Brock Besser. So Especially with his qualifying offer being at $7.5 bucks, Right. So if that's the situation, you're if you're moving him, you're moving him at a point where his value is depressed and you're not getting value back in return. So what became the best bet for this team was signing Brock Besser to another bridge contract, essentially. Yep. Three-year deal, buys one UFA year, let's see what happens here. Because that was the best bet you could have made. And if it doesn't work out, that's going to be a problem. Maybe this team looks at it and says, we got to cut our losses. We tried. But now we got to make some sort of a move to free up some money. We don't worry about the return anymore. It just hasn't happened. It's getting to a point where, where it is make or break for Brock Besser here in Vancouver as well. Make no mistake about it. He has a tough year. Their team's going to be more focused on getting out of that contract as opposed to him being part of the solution. Connor Garland had 52 points last year, and that's a player that um, some have said didn't live up to uh, the close to $5 million that he's being paid. Brock has to produce to make the most, to bring value on the new contract he's just signed. Nobody is sitting here and denying that, but he is primed for a bounce back season given um, the focus he should have and should be available to have for this upcoming year and the opportunity around this lineup. The Canucks should be able to score goals as we've talked about on previous shows now, if if he's one of the if he's the best bounce back candidate, who are some other bounce back candidates? I think Elias Pettersson is obviously. Uh, I don't know if we could call it a bounce back, given how he finished the year. It's it, it's almost like he bounced back already, <laughs> but it's it's probably Pettersson, and maybe the other wild card is another player we've talked about quite a bit already in the lead up to this season, Nils Hoglander. Yeah, I mean, and the question with Nils though is. Will there be the opportunity for That's him? the biggest question. Yeah. I mean, I like Niels' talent. I like his ability. I love to see him have success. But my question is, is the coach going to give him that opportunity? Is he making the team and is he going to be playing every single day? If he is, I, I love betting on Hoaglander having a productive season. Yeah. I do. But I just don't know if he's going to get that opportunity or not. That's the biggest question. How do you view Oliver ekman Larson on the back end? I view as like I view him as he had a strong season already. Yeah, he can score more offensively, 
Um, and if the Canucks do load up that top line uh, on defense with Hughes and OEL, maybe there's more offense for him there. But I, I don't know if I would call that a bounce back for OEL. Uh, I just, more than anything, I hope OEL maintains at least the level he had last year. Mm-hmm. That's the bare minimum this team needs from him. Yeah, I mean, I, you have to see more from him next year. Yeah. Right? Like, he's got to get over 30 points. And even 30 points for a guy making over $7 million is not great. But the point I made for a long time is you got to get at least 30 points from somebody who's playing a two-way defensive role in your top four playing a lot of minutes. Like, if you're not getting at least 30 points... like it, Outside of Quinn Hughes, yeah. You know, like you got to get somebody who does that. And even 30 is not great. You'd love to see it go even higher, but it's tough to bank on him getting 40-plus points if he's not getting first-unit power play time and that sort of stuff. But he, he has to do that. I mean, and if he doesn't, then I'm not sure who on the back end is providing scoring. I mean, Rathbone is a guy who has talent and ability, but again, it comes down to how many minutes he plays. Myers has shown an ability to score, but he's never hit 30 points as a Canuck. And is it going to happen now as he gets into his mid-30s? Likely not. Uh, a couple of other bounce-back candidates. Uh, Dan from Van, uh, listening live on Sports at 650, mentioning Tucker Pullman. Uh, maybe we'll touch on him a little bit later on. And I also think Jason Dickinson, uh, although maybe not from an offensive standpoint, but uh, he, it'd be hard for him to have as bad a season as he did last year, just given his uh, career track record. We'll talk about a couple of more of those Canucks as the show goes on. Daniel Nugent-Bowman is going to join us next did a recent piece on Jack Campbell, the big off-season acquisition of the Edmonton Oilers, and how that's going to factor in to the goaltending picture in the Pacific Division. It's Dan Riccio, Satyar Shah. You are listening to Canuck Central. It's Canuck Central, coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintech.net. A lot of our live listeners are uh, enjoying the uh, Canucks talk this morning, getting ready for the season. Uh, Vikingstad on Twitter likes the thought of Dickinson bouncing back and having more of a defensive contribution Mm -hmm. for the Canucks this year. Uh, Everything went wrong for Jason Dickinson last year, Sad. It it almost feels like... uh, (laughs) It can't be as bad as it was a year ago. No, and I think the biggest thing for Jason Dickinson, it's figuring out what his role is going to be. That wasn't really defined last year, and it no. became hard. He was supposed to be a third-line center, didn't work out, struggled, hit injuries, and it wasn't he wasn't quite sure where he was playing, and then he was out of the lineup for a while. Yeah. What are you, and where do you play? Yeah. That's pretty much what you have to figure out. And I think the easiest thing is to pop him on the wing on the fourth line. Be like, you know what you need to do this year? You and Curtis Lazar? What, you, what can you guys figure out? Yeah. Be can you guys defense. be something together? Yeah. You know, that's the best bet. And I don't look at points. I don't look at those sort of things from Jason Dickinson. I look at two things. One, can he form a strong defensive duo with Curtis Lazar? And can he help you on the PK? He, do those, he does those two things. At least he gives you something. That's, you know, it's not uh, going to bring what you hoped it would when he signed the contract. But even last year... You know, in what was a very difficult season for Dickinson, he somewhat did his job. Like, not a lot happened when he was on the ice. And nothing, Good or bad. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's essentially what he was brought in to do. Yeah. You know, like, help you defensively, be a guy who really helps you in that regard. A team had 
a lot of players who were not good defensively forward-wise. Yeah. But he just struggled to generate any chemistry with anybody, you know? And and he, I don't even think it was necessarily his fault, but the PK was so bad, and he was a big mm-hmm. part of the, helping the PK, and that was supposed to be a role he was supposed to play. It just seemed like everything was cratering on him last year. And again, I don't expect him to score points in a big way, but can he do that at the very least? And if he does that at, at a decent level, A, he can give you something, and B... Well, maybe there is an avenue to move off that money in a year. It's uh, Dan Richo, Satyar Shah. We are Canuck Central. Uh, now joining us, Oilers reporter at The Athletic, it's Daniel Nugent Bowman. Thanks for this, Daniel. How are you? I'm not bad. How are you guys doing? Uh, we're doing all right. You know, still coming off the summer, getting getting ready for hockey season to, to get underway. It's... Uh, it's that time of year, right? And uh, a lot of uh, a lot of interesting angles that the Canucks are taking, but the Oilers are, you know, it, it hasn't been a very busy off season. But you focused on the biggest acquisition over at the Athletic recently, and that being Jack Campbell. How how big of an ad? How big of a storyline is Jack Campbell going into this season for the Oilers? I think he should be pretty good, uh, pretty big rather. And uh, you know, it's funny goaltending. I think any who watches hockey knows that it's so important. It's obviously the most important position on the ice. And for all like the people, got, obviously more people got a chance to watch the Oilers uh, in the playoffs since they got to the conference final last year. And you kind of saw the ups and downs of, of Mike Smith. Um, but when he's been on uh, his game and not been injured as well, Mike Smith was a pretty good goaltender for this team. It's just the kind of the lulls and the injuries. And, and obviously there have been some gaffes in there too. But I think with this Oilers team is they just need you know steady, good goaltending. They don't need great goaltending because you can you know the power play has been at or or among the top of the league for the last three or four years. Um, certainly they can score if you, you look at the, the big two guys, especially in, in McDavid and Drysaddle. Um, they just need uh, to keep the puck out of the net a little bit better um, over over the kind of the long haul. And I think Campbell can kind of provide that. I mean. Um, it was kind of a match made in heaven, I think, here with, with getting, you know, some guys like, uh, that he knows, like, uh, Zach Hyman and Tyson Berry. Um, there should be a lot of, uh, a reason for, for Jack Campbell to do well here with this, uh, with this Oilers team. Um, or it's sort of becoming Toronto West here with the amount of guys, um, that were ex Maple Leafs, but a lot of them have, have done pretty well. Uh, and I, I think, uh, Campbell has the ability to kind of continue that, that, uh, trend. Um, and being a, a very good and reliable goaltender for this uh, for this Oilers team. Well, and you know the biggest factor outside of you know goalie performance, or the biggest factor that that helps or or uh, hurts goalie performance, is the environment the goalie plays in. Sure. And what what do you make of the environment that uh, the goaltending faced last year, and what to expect this upcoming season, especially with some changes to the blue line, especially with Duncan Keith not being there playing a big role. Yeah, well, the, the loss of Duncan Keith, uh, I think he was better than a lot of people expected, um, you know, given that he was at the obviously the very end of his career, just the last year. Um, uh, but you know, Duncan Keith is, is a, or was for the Oilers, a second pairing defenseman at best, mm-hmm. um, and, and, and struggled just really um, to defend against the rush. Uh, and, and, you know, his, his foot speed wasn't quite there. I, I think, you know, they're probably going to elevate Brett Kulak, who they got at the uh, trade deadline. Um, you know, higher in the lineup, uh, having re-signed him, uh, I think he can, um, you know, fill in for uh, for Duncan Keith on that pairing more than fine. It may perhaps be an even better, better, a bit of an upgrade. Excuse me. Um, and, and you know, you're probably going to get a younger guy uh, on that bottom pairing. Whether I think Philip Roberg is the odds-on bet uh, to make this team is Ryan Murray uh, was just signed. Um, you know, you, you look at this defense. I think um, Evan Bouchard has a chance to make a, take a step. 
Uh, Darnell Nurse, uh, the year before last, was in the running, you know, albeit kind of the long list for the um, for the Norris Trophy. Struggled with with some injuries last year. Uh, I think you're, you're going to see him return to form. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm more bullish on this defense than uh, I have been in, in in the past, and I think. Um, you know, with the some of the changes that uh, Jay Woodcroft and um, you know assistant coach, uh, you know, in terms of working with the defense, Dave Manson uh, kind of implemented throughout the the end of last year, and getting a full training camp to to really uh, put their stamps on the team. Um, I think this could be a better defensive team than it has been in the past. And uh, you know, I, I I think you know if you you're tying that question back to Jack Campbell, that could serve very well for for Campbell. I know at the end of his Toronto time, um, the least defense uh, actually in terms of um, you know, goals against and, 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 you know, things of that nature was actually better than a lot of people gave it credit for. But I think Edmonton could be, a, a, you know, just as good or a step up even um, in terms of what he was able to uh, have around him in Toronto. So I, I think this is a pretty good match uh, for, for Campbell and for this team that, that just, again, needs, I think, adequate to, you know, very, you know, good goaltending uh, rather than kind of the highs and lows uh, that, that were kind of uh, offered by Mike Smith. Do you feel Campbell is is ready for this spot? You know, the big contract coming into to save the Oilers' goaltending woes of the last uh, number of seasons? There's always a concern that he doesn't have a very big track record, right? Yeah. Um, you know, he's had really the last year in Toronto and, and the very end of a, of a weird um, COVID uh, truncated season in, in, in 2021, uh, you know, him really taking over um, when in Toronto when uh, Frederick Anderson went down. Uh, so there is that concern. I mean, he, but this is a guy that that's 30 years old. I think I believe he'll be 31 in January. Uh, I've seen a lot in his career. Um, so you're thinking, well, you're going, you're giving this guy, you know, a contract uh, for five years. He'll be 35 at the end of this this uh, window or the end of the deal. But um, you know, given what he's gone through in his career, a very high draft pick. I think 11th overall in 20. Uh, I think it was 2009 or 2010. It was, you know, a long time ago. It's taken him, it's taken him quite a while to get to this point in his career. Um, as long as he, you know, the, the, the book on him is that he can be a little bit hard on himself and, and kind of take, you know, losses or bad performances, um, you know, a little too hard and, and uh, kind of struggle to kind of overcome them or whatnot. It, you know, if he can get through that stuff, I think he's, I think he's set up pretty well here to uh, kind of turn the corner and, and really be that, that number one, or, you know, I don't think he's going to obviously be the, the top tier number one of, you know, an, uh, you know, Vasilevsky or Shesterkin or those types. But if he can fit into that second kind of tier of number one goaltending around the league, I think the Oilers will be, will be just fine. And we'll, we'll, uh, we'll gladly take that from a five-year, $5 million contract from him. Well, and then also just looking at the Pacific Division, like what do you make of the goaltending hierarchy here? I mean, especially with Vegas having the Robin Leonard injury situation, he's not going to be playing this year. So that takes, you know, a a big-time goalie out of the mix. I mean, Vancouver, we all think highly of Thatcher Demko. Calgary Mm -hmm. has Jacob Markstrom. How do you kind of handicap how the goalie situation, you know, looks in the Pacific Division? Yeah, I mean, I think he's he's, – it's kind of hard for me to, to answer that concretely but i think he's kind of up up there i mean i would take probably take markstrom ahead of him but i mean the, the oilers torched markstrom in the playoffs last year um and they have um during his mostly during his time um in the last couple of years as a calgary flame um you know that's not to say if he's not a good goaltender you wouldn't prefer him but that's, you know just to kind of illustrate that point um that the Oilers are you know obviously a a, a very good offensive team which I, I don't think anyone is uh is going to call me an extreme pundit on that one but uh you know I I agree with your assessment on you know Thatcher Def- Demko I think he's a very good goaltender still's uh probably not reached the ceiling as um somebody who's still pretty young um 
you know, the King School attending, they're, they're kind of working that tandem, tandem rather of um, of Quick and, and and Peterson, and then you know the the back half of that division where you know teams aren't as aren't as good. I think you're. Uh, I mean, at least, you know, John Gibson, but I don't think anyone is really considering Anaheim to be any type of contender. And uh, Vegas, as you mentioned, the, the two goaltenders there are to replace um, Robin Leonard are certainly not to the caliber of, of uh, you know, the three in the, in the that uh, men the crease for the Canadian division, uh, or for the Canadian teams, rather. So, um, you know, when you kind of go through it all, I, I think Campbell's kind of right in that, that upper upper tier in terms of, of the Pacific uh, division. And, and and again, to me, it's just that the Oilers, I don't, they don't need the, of course, anyone would like, uh, you know, one of the top three or four goaltenders in the league, but the way this team can score and, and, um, um, and I think the defense will be a bit better. They just need good goaltending to, to be able to compete and, 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 and vie for, uh, you know, go a deep run in the playoffs. And I think Campbell's in the, in the spot where he can do that. Were you surprised, uh, Ken Holland didn't do more than just adding Jack Campbell this offseason? That- there's been a, a couple of smaller moves, but but really it's Campbell as the big one and, and not much else mm-hmm. other than keeping some of the guys they needed to re-sign. No, not really. I mean, money was really tight, and without the, at least to this point, you know, being able to, the three guys everyone's talking about in terms of a move are, are Tyson Berry, um, Warren Fogel, and Yessi Pugliarvi, and, and uh, so far, obviously, he's been able to move none of those three, and, and uh, Evander Kane, um being uh, re-signed at a, at a contract far greater than uh, the one that um, that he was brought in for, naturally, given the circumstances when he uh, signed in Edmonton midseason. I mean, those those two moves are going to eat up a lot of the cap uh, space available. So um, not only that, um, uh, Darnell Nurse's contract kicks in, so he's uh, it's about three and a half ish million dollar raise from this previous deal. So. Uh, there's a lot of money that that was accounted for this off season, and, and you know, bringing back Kulak, they you know, obviously Ken Holland decided to um, kind of put his his eggs in, in a basket that he knows with with Kulak and, and Kane, and probably for good good uh, reason. Um, if you look at the left left uh, side of the defense um, uh, in terms of the defense market available in the summer. I think Brett Kulak was at or near the top of of, of guys available at the price range the Oilers uh, could afford. And um, they obviously needed somebody uh, to replace Duncan Keith. So that was, you know, I, I think he did a good job there. Um, the Vander Kane, obviously, everyone knows about uh, how well he did with the Oilers here last year, but everyone also knows about uh, kind of the past that he's had around the league and the, the reputation. And as long as he's on his best behavior here, that contract should should be a, a big steal for the Oilers. But that's a, that's a big if. And and obviously, we've we've talked at length here about uh, about Campbell. So um, yeah, I'm not surprised he didn't do. Any, too much more externally. The only other moves he's, he's made are um, Matthias Janmark, uh, you know, fourth line winger, probably fourth line winger, and and uh, Ryan Murray, who will be kind of your six seven defenseman, um, and, and both at very cheap one one year contracts. So um, they're hoping for obviously Campbell to, to help the goaltending and um, and some really development from some of these younger guys, mm-hmm. uh, Evan Evan Bouchard, Broberg. Uh, Ryan McLeod, Tyler Yamamoto, even Yassi Puliarvi, if he stays on the roster. If, if those guys can take a step, I, I think this team will be uh, even better than it was last year. Well, that was a question I was going to ask. It's when it comes to those forwards, uh, who's going to really emerge? Tyler Yamamoto's shown some promise, obviously, 40 points last mm-hmm. year, and you know he, he's a very talented player. But who do you think is the most likely of those forwards to take that step forward? Is it Puliarvi? Is it Yamamoto? Hey, could it even be Warren Fogle, who's who's getting acclimated to to Edmonton? Like, who do you think? can take that step? 
Yeah, for the three you mentioned, I mean, Warren Fogle, to me, um, if he stays on the roster, I think you're, they're hoping we'll have a better year than last year. Yeah. It really was quiet a lot. But the thing is, uh, to me, he's a bottom six player, and um, he didn't play much PK last year, really hardly at all, and got a little second power play unit. So it was tough to integrate him into the lineup. And with um, you know the way that the top six work, I, I, I don't see him getting too many more opportunities. So I think he's just this, this third line winger. Now to me, it, it comes down to obviously the other two young guys, and that's uh, Yamamoto and um, and Puliyarvi. To me, Puliyarvi's got a bit more of the upside. Uh, you know, obviously, and you, you saw the first thirty-ish games uh, of last season, and he was almost he was just shy of being a point per game player, and he, he got. Um, hit some injuries, COVID, uh, just the second half, just completely lost confidence and um, didn't look like the same guy. Now, you still, you know, if you look at the underlying numbers, still played pretty well in terms of uh, goal differential uh, shots. You know, all those those fancy stats did very well and uh, was among, among or at the top of the list in terms of Oilers forward. So there's a player there and they're hoping if he stays that they can, they can unlock that. And certainly... The, the, I think he'll start, you know, on the third line if he's on this team, and there's a real potential for him to move up the lineup. Whereas um, it's a little bit different with Kyler Yamamoto, where he's uh, assured of being in the top six. The stars love playing with this guy because he can get pucks for them and um, you know really create havoc on forecheck and and, and get them the puck and, and things of that nature. Um, the second half of the year, we started to finish a little bit more. Um, but for Yamamoto, you, you kind of know, I think, what he is a bit more, um, whereas Puliyarvi, there's that kind of that room for growth a bit more than maybe Yamamoto. But um, the thing with Yamamoto, again, is he's almost assured of being uh, locked into that uh, that top six and maybe even getting the odd um, chance on the first power play unit. We saw that a little bit at the end of last year. Um, Puliyarvi should as well, but I, I think there's more opportunity uh, for Yamamoto, uh, regardless of how he plays, because he can do kind of other things that the stars like, um, in terms of helping their games versus, uh, Pooley RV. There's, there's a little bit of, of more of a, um, kind of a, a passive, uh, look to his game, um, and, and being a little bit more defensively conscious and, and doesn't really drive, uh, you know, the play, in tr- uh, you know, by himself. So I, I, I think if, if Pooley RV can put it together, he's your guy. But the safer bet, it, I guess, would be Yamamoto there. Is there, is there a chance Pugliarvi uh, still gets moved before the season starts? Yeah, absolutely, yeah, for sure. Uh, how? I'm not, I'm not sure. Uh, he's got a $3 million contract. The Oilers need to, to move somebody. Uh, you know, I, I guess I shouldn't say need. But it, would be, it would be ideal. Um, they're over the cap right now. They still have to sign Ryan McLeod, who basically has a handshake uh, agreement. He's participating on the ice. Uh, I think that contract will be done soon. But if they can't move a guy... They're looking at starting the year with a 21-man roster and uh, and kind of hoping for the best uh, in terms of there not being injuries and um, just being very tight. So, uh, you know, eliminating a guy, you know, Fogel's at, I think, 275. Pugliarvi's at three. Tyson Berry's at 4.5. Taking one of those guys out and bringing back very little salary would, would certainly help. Um, but everyone around the league is very tight, and um, it's kind of hard to see how the Oilers, have, you know, in middle of September now uh, are going to be able to jettison one of these guys and not take much money back. There aren't too many teams that uh, have cap space, you know, to be able to, in a way, help the Oilers out. Um, so they're in a bit of a, of a jam, you know, in, in one respect, that's not great. In the other, 
you know, it kind of shows Ken Holland is going for it in a way with, with this team. Like it's going to be the best possible group. Now might they have to play a game shorthanded if there's a couple guys that get hurt or get sick and, and they're, they're not going, going on LTAR. Yeah, it's possible. But um, I don't know. It, it's, it's a fine line that they're crossing, but I think um, management, has, you know, in, in the past couple of years has been accused of not, um, you know, not surrounding McDavid and, and Drysaddle with the best possible team that they can. Uh, in this case, I would I would kind of push back and say that they they kind of are, and maybe it's it's there are some cap moves that you don't like, but um, you know I think this team is as good as it can possibly be, um, you know, given the kind of the nature of, of the salary cap with with some of the moves that have been made in the past. So um, I, I think Pouliot could be dealt, but it's, it's just kind of hard to see. Um, how that's going to happen right now, given the, the kind of salary structure and, and uh, the makeup around the league with other teams too. Daniel, really appreciate your insights. Thanks for this. You're very welcome. Anytime. Uh, there is uh, Daniel Nugent Bowman covering the Oilers at the Athletic. Kind of fascinating. Um, I, I don't know. I, I would think Jesse Pugliarvi is a guy a lot of teams would like to take a chance on, but it's not a cheap contract anymore, and Ken Holland is holding out for a pretty decent asset in return. Yeah, and I mean, I think they wanted a second round pick or something, yeah. and I don't know anybody's giving that. Now he's making three million. I mean, if he plays really well, but then it becomes a situation of, well, what do you want to trade him? The Jesse Pugliarvi one has been—it seems like there's something about him that just rubs him the wrong way. Yeah. Even when a new coach came, and still wouldn't get it. It's just. I just wonder if he has to go somewhere else for him to maybe realize his potential because he's still a good player. There's a lot there. It's just, you know, sometimes when you view somebody a certain way, you mm-hmm. can't get past it. And I wonder if that's happened to him in that organization and there's no way for him get, to get over that. The other one that I find really interesting, and I, and I find some similarities to Jason Dickinson, is the whole Warren Fogle yeah. deal. Because Warren Fogle, in theory, was a good bet for Edmonton. Big forward, has skill, has a little bit of skill, has some toughness, can get on the forecheck. Um, he was there, Jason Dickinson, last year. Yeah, and, and there was some thought, okay, maybe he can do the Pat Maroon thing. He comes mm-hmm. in and plays well in the top six, gives us a little bit of toughness and some size and speed and yada, yada, yada. And he just, just fell flat. And yeah. to Daniel's point, if you're not killing penalties, you're not playing on the power play, and you find yourself on third and fourth line, what are you contributing? Dickinson at least kills penalties, but the point now is they got him to be a third line center. Now you're, you're like, well, can he be a fourth line winger? And yeah. you know, can it be? And you see other teams have similar situations. And at some point this upcoming season, I wonder if we see deals like that. Yeah, I'm not saying Vancouver and Edmonton, but do you see those types of contracts get swapped for one another? And Our I think, problem for your problem, maybe there's a better fit here for that player. Yeah, you know, like hey. If, if you have guys that PK, you might look at it and say, hey, Warren Fogle could bring something to our fourth line that's better than what we asked Dickinson to do, potentially. Right. Or is there another player out there? And going through every single roster, almost every team has a player similar. You know, And I wonder if this is the year we see some of these teams swap them out. Um, I think the Oilers are in a very interesting spot, but they haven't made any significant upgrades this year outside of the upgrade from Mike Smith to Jack Campbell. And for some of us, myself included, I wonder just how big of an upgrade that is. Campbell, and and we've talked about this with Kevin Woodley, but when he first burst onto the scene in Toronto, taking the place of Freddie Anderson, who was injured, he was playing really well. And the first half of last season, he was making up for a lot of the Leafs defensive mistakes he was there he was doing great 
but it fell hard and fast in the second half of the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, you look back at the numbers, the Leafs were getting some of the worst goaltending in the league, but we're still finding ways to win hockey games. It's like that's that's not going to be as much of the case in Edmonton when they have uh, less of a complete team than what Toronto has, but they, of course, have Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl bailing them out almost on a nice nightly basis. Their top six is loaded, too. I mean, yeah. you know, and the way Evander Kane fit in, Zach Hyman's played well, Ryan Nugent Hopkins. I mean, their top six is fine. Their, their bottom six has enough for them to hold their own. Duncan Keith struggled in transition, mm-hmm. like Daniel said. They should, in theory, be better without him. But he also absorbed a lot of tough minutes and tough situations. And even though he got exposed at times, he still prevented somebody else from perhaps getting more exposed. Mm-hmm. And I wonder how that all comes together. I like Kulak a lot, but is he able to play as big a role mm-hmm. as a defensive defensive defenseman that they kind of need? I'm a fan of his, and I wonder if that's something as the season goes on becomes an issue for them. Evan Bouchard maybe struggles a bit defensively. Broberg's not coming along. Barry struggles defensively. I wonder how they can play as a, as a defensive unit and whether they can actually be better or not. Jack Campbell was one of the big off-season acquisitions in the Pacific Division. What were some of the other big moves in the Pacific, including the Canucks moves? And how does that change the outlook of the division for this upcoming season? Canuck Central this hour was brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company, helping local business since 1892. Hour number two of Canuck Central is next on Sportsnet 650.